Hi, this is Giles. I appreciate you tuning into this podcast and thank you for supporting our ministry campaigns. It's my prayer that these podcasts will help you to experience God's very best in every area of your life. But I've discovered that this is not our biggest problem in life. Uh, the, the problem isn't actually the problem. The problem is actually the fear and anxiety that problems can create in our hearts. And you see, tests and trials, they're part of our human experience in this fallen world. As Job said thousands of years ago, man is born for trouble even as the sparks fly upward. So you're born into a world of trouble, okay? Somebody once said you're either going into a trial, going through a trial, or coming out of a trial. But trials are all around. Through many tribulations, Scripture says, we shall enter into the kingdom of God. So there's no way we're going to avoid trials and tests and tribulations. But the real issue is then our response to those things. When the storms of life come, how do we respond. And so think with me, why are people so anxious and afraid? I believe it's because deep in their hearts, they have a sense of separation from God, that God perhaps is not with them to see them through, and therefore they're destined to fail. Of course, if you think that or doubt that he's with you and for you, then it's going to produce a lot of anxiety. But as soon as you know that that's not the case, then you rest and you relax, hallelujah, just as a sheep under the hand of a good shepherd. When the wolf comes, the sheep doesn't need to stress or struggle because he knows that the shepherd is going to drive the wolf away, and so too with us. So when you know that you're in fellowship with God, that he's for you, that he's with you, that he cares for you, that he's your father, uh, that your battles are his battles, that victory is assured because Christ has already won, then you experience real peace, real rest, real joy, no matter the circumstances, no matter the trials and tribulations, okay? But if you feel that you're separated from God, that he's distant from you, that perhaps because of your imperfections that he may have abandoned you, then it's only a matter of time before you'll feel overwhelmed with fear, with anguish. And so you can see that at the root of all our fearful attitudes is actually a sense that your sins have not been completely forgiven. And because of that, there's a separation between you and God. Because of that, you fear that uh, God may want to condemn you or use a circumstance to bring you down. And I want to change, help you to change that thinking through the Word of God today and to come into that place of complete peace. Amen. So the first principle I want to bring up is the fact that we need to leave behind uh, what I call a Sinai mentality, a Sinai mentality. And I'll explain that, first of all, by quoting the scripture here in Hebrews 12 and verses 18 to 21. For you have not come to the mountain that may be touched and that may be burned with fire and to the blackness and darkness and tempest and the sound of a trumpet and the voice of words, so that those who heard it begged that the words should not be spoken to them anymore. You have not come to this mountain. Continue to the next verse. For they could not endure what was commanded. And if so, much as a beast touches 
much, uh, if so much as a beast touches the mountain, it shall be stoned or shot with an arrow. And so terrifying was the sight that Moses said, I'm exceedingly afraid and trembling. Moses himself. Now, what the writer of uh, Hebrews is saying here, who I believe is the apostle or was the apostle Paul, is that uh, or what he's describing here is Mount Sinai, where the law of God was given to Moses. Okay, he's talking about you have not come to that mountain. Okay, and I'm going to show you these two mountains. He's saying you're not on this mountain. You're on another mountain. Okay, if you're on this mountain and, and your mentality is in Sinai, on Mount Sinai, then it's going to produce a certain, uh, it's going to have consequences. You're going to be fearful. You're going to be afraid. All right, because your thinking is wrong. Uh, but actually, we're now, because of Christ, on another mountain. But if you're on Sinai, which represents the law, then you're always going to be in a place of anxiety, of stress. And God doesn't want you there. In fact, God can't help you whilst you're there because God's moved on, so to speak. It's interesting that the name Sinai actually means thorny or full of thorns. And thorns, of course, are a symbol in scripture of the curse right at the beginning of time when uh, God cursed the earth because of the sin of man it began to produce thorns and thistles so it was a sign of the curse so it's clear that this mountain Mount Sinai represents the law now let me just state that there's nothing wrong with the law in itself the Bible says actually that the law is holy just and good okay but the problem with the law is that it does not have power to make people right or righteous. So the law is right, but it doesn't have the power to make right. Okay, The law um, can show you what is wrong, but it can't put things right. Only grace can do that. Hallelujah. And that's why we preach the gospel of grace, because it's that gospel that produces transformation, new birth, regeneration, a change of nature. The law can't do that. The law just shows you what's wrong. So, for example, uh, a highway law may tell drivers that the speed limit is 60 miles an hour. And if you surpass that, you'll be punished. And so the motorist who comes in at 70 miles an hour, then he's broken that law to the extent of 10 miles an hour. If another motorist drives along at 100 miles an hour, then that driver has broken it much more so at 40 miles an hour above the speed limit. So in a sense, that person is the greater criminal. So you can, you can measure the depth of the crime through the law. But as I said, doesn't change people, doesn't make people want necessarily to be responsible good drivers. They still want to, but the law just holds them back. So the law is suppressing the human nature, but it's not transforming the human nature. So the law can measure the depth of sinfulness, but it cannot change the nature of sin. Okay, The law, you see, was actually ne never given uh, to be fulfilled but actually, so through the law, people would have the knowledge of sin. The Lord knows that none of us could fulfill the law. Only he himself, which he did in Christ Jesus. So the text says that God gave the law uh, on the top of the mountain. But, and when he did, that the mountain was on fire. Extraordinary. However, it was in, it's interesting to note in this text that despite the fire, there was no light. In fact, it speaks about 
uh, look, it burned with fire and to blackness, darkness, and tempest. In other words, the, this fire didn't produce light, just blackness and darkness and storm. So this is a fire or the fire of the law that doesn't have any power to illuminate. You're following what I'm saying? See, the law doesn't have uh, the power to bring revelation of God's love, of his real nature. And in similar fashion, what was seen on Mount Sinai uh, exists in the hearts of people today who are under the law. They are full of blackness, darkness, and tempest. They're always raging. They're always cross. They're always mad. They're always pointing their finger. They're full of blackness, darkness, and tempest. People who live under the law have that characteristic. They don't shine like the sun. They're not smiley people. They're not at peace. They're not full of joy. They're not gracious. They're constantly condemning others. Why? Because they're living under the law. They're on the, mount, uh, the, the wrong mountain, Mount Sinai. And that could be religious people, people who are Pharisees or Sadducees or couldn't seize or wouldn't seize, literally those kind of religious-minded people. Or it could even be people who say they're not religious, but actually they've taken on some sort of political system or some sort of ideology that has made them very religious, very condemning of others. Okay, And these people are full of blackness and darkness and tempest. It's the result of living on this mountain, of being under lots of laws. It means that people are breaking them and therefore should be condemned. Because who can live up to the perfection of the law of God, let alone the law of man? So when someone lives under the law, okay, whenever they come to God, actually they're afraid, just as Moses was. And this is really interesting because we see Moses, obviously, as the model man of the time. Scripture says that he was afraid and trembled. But this shouldn't be the case with the believer. A child of God should never live in a place uh, of spiritual and mental anguish. This is, was never the plan of God. And so we, the text we read says that we've not come to this mountain, Mount Sinai, but... Sadly, there are many believers who still live there. And it's extraordinary how many of them will fight for the law, defend the law, say that that's the place, the thing we've got to preach and the thing that we've got to adhere to. They reject the grace message, but they love, they're passionate about the law message, telling people what they've got to do, got to do, got to do, got to be holier, got to be better, got to be more spiritual, more this, more that. And constantly setting a very high uh, uh, a standard that, people are going to break and therefore be condemned. And it's a nightmare. And that's the right word, a blackness. It's a nightmare environment to be under. You see, these people live in the law and it's tragic, really, because the devil uses the law to accuse us. Okay, He will always remind us about what we didn't do, the fact that we're not good enough, that we didn't do it right. You see, if you live under the law, your mind will be constantly bombarded with accusation and condemnation. See, the enemy's desire isn't just to seduce you into sin, but to make you a slave through the law, through accusation, okay? So literally, he causes you, he seduces you to sin, but having sinned, he keeps reminding you of it so that you live in a state of condemnation, feeling terrible about yourself. You're constantly looking at yourself. You see, the law makes people look to themselves, but grace makes people look to the Lord. The law constantly makes people feel worthless and useless or self-righteous, okay? But when you look to Christ, then you find your righteousness in Him because of His love and His grace. But unfortunately, many believers 
become mentally weak, worn down because of this constant bombardment and attack. See, the Lord was given to show man's impotence, okay, in the face of divine standards. It was never planned for man to live under this law. And Paul here is saying, we've got to get out of this mentality. We've got to get to another mountain. Then, as we read here, the, law, the, the, the word said that Moses himself was terrified, exceedingly afraid and trembling. Hallelujah. You know, in another part of the scripture, Numbers chapter 12, Scripture says that Moses was the meekest man on earth. However, we know that he didn't enter the promised land, Canaan. Why? Because actually there was a time when he lost that meekness and he confronted the people. He got upset and the Lord said, you can't enter in because of that. In other words, not even the meekest man was approved by the law. Even he broke it. So here's an incredible truth. The law condemns the best of men. That's the reality. But grace saves the worst of sinners. Hallelujah. Today, you've got to decide which mountain you live on, my friend. See, Moses was the best of men, but even he was terrified and trembling. But grace accepted the thief on the cross, the prostitute, the publican, all of us. Hallelujah. And tells us that we can now have peace with God. And of course, it's that peace that produces joy, the joy of the Lord. Amen. That's the place God wants you to be living in. See, to live according to the law is to live in constant terror and fear. It's to live constantly anxious about your state before God, whether you're going to be accepted or not, judged or not, whether he's for you or against you, whether he's with you or whether he's abandoned you. And a sign of somebody that's living under the law is that he's constantly asking himself, how am I before God? Well, will he accept me today? Will he hear my prayer? You see, this is not uh, a resolved question in the minds of somebody who lives under the law. They've never really been fully convinced that they have been made the righteousness of God in Christ through faith. Hallelujah. And that state of righteousness can never be removed from you. Think about it this way. It was not your works that made you righteous. Therefore, it's not your works that can make you unrighteous. It was faith in Christ's work that made you righteous. Hallelujah. So as long as you have faith, then you're righteous. The righteous shall live by faith. Amen. Amen. It's just a case of believing, not a case of doing. Okay. Hallelujah. So you, you need to resolve that in your mind. You are the righteousness of God in Christ forever. You've been placed inside Christ. Nothing can remove you from that to the glory of God. You're now a believer. Amen. Faith came alive and that light has been turned on forever. Amen. And it can't be turned off. Hallelujah. You can't, you can't be removed from that position. You see, today Mount Sinai has become something of the past, of a different era, of an old covenant. See, God was there on Mount Sinai, but now he's moved to another mountain and we need to go with him, okay? He's now living on a mount called Sinai. And this is my second point today, that we should come to Mount Sinai. In other words, we need to have the Mount, oh, excuse me, did I say Sinai? I was meaning to say Zion. God is now living on Mount Zion. Hallelujah, hopefully that was clear. So we need to change our mentality 
from having the Mount Sinai mentality to having the Mount Zion mentality, okay? And this is the logic again of the writer of Hebrews, okay? So he says, you haven't gone to Mount Sinai, but you have come to Mount Zion and to the city of the living God, the heavenly Jerusalem, to an innumerable company of angels to the general assembly and church of the firstborn who are registered in heaven hallelujah to god the judge of all to the spirits of just men made perfect wow isn't that amazing we've been made perfect we've been justified and therefore perfect to jesus the mediator of the new covenant and to the blood of sprinkling that speaks better things than that of Abel. Wow, so many glorious things in that. The first thing I want you to notice is that everyone who's anyone is on Mount Zion, okay? God the Father's there, the Lord Jesus, the angels, the church. So the real question is, why on earth would a believer want to stay on Mount Sinai when the whole company of heaven is on Mount Zion, okay? See, God never intended us to have a relationship uh, to have a relationship with us based on the law, okay? Because if that was the case, uh, he would either need to separate himself entirely from us, or if he didn't, he would consume us with his wrath because of our sin. But he doesn't want to do that. You see, God is a God of goodness and grace. And the word here we read says that God is the judge of everyone. Hallelujah. And uh, you see, as a father, God cares for us. But as a judge, he declares us innocent and righteous. You see, a father can't make that declaration, but a judge can. You see, the Lord is not our judge to condemn us, but actually our judge to justify us. Here, to, to God, the judge of everyone, the judge of all, to the spirits of just men made perfect. Hallelujah to Jesus, the mediator of the new covenant. Hallelujah. You see, it's all there written for us. The Lord is not our judge to condemn us, but our judge to justify us. He's our defender, not our accuser. Amen. So we need to get our thinking right. See, Christians are not to fear the judgment of the Lord because he's not out to condemn us, uh, but actually his love is there and his therefore his judgment protects us from all condemnation now this is absolutely wonderful you see god has judged us to be righteous we've become perfectly righteous in christ we've been justified and so god sees all things and knows the very secrets of our hearts and yet he declares us righteous despite these faults failures etc because we're in christ he now sees us in christ righteous with the righteousness of christ hallelujah now some people think that god is just turning a blind eye okay to the things he's really seeing but actually that's not true at all hallelujah uh, you see our basis for righteousness is the righteousness of christ there's a legal basis in Psalm 125, verse 1, the scripture says, Those who trust in the Lord are like Mount Zion, which cannot be moved, but abides forever. So here's the reference to Mount Zion. And those who trust in the Lord, okay, they become like Mount Zion. They're unmovable. 
okay, unshakable. So once you have trust, faith in that finished work of Christ, okay, and that you are a finished work in Him, then actually you become unmovable, just as Mount Zion is, rather than constantly worried and stressed. You see, we've become unshakable, unmovable, only, uh, but if our thinking, our lives, our, our whole uh, approach to life is based on Mount Zion, uh, because uh, Mount Zion represents grace, okay? So Zion is the name of the city of the living God, the heavenly Jerusalem. And this brings us to Paul's allegory in Galatians 4, uh, where he shows that Abraham had two wives, Sarah and Hagar. And these two women are symbolic, okay? Just as Mount Sinai represents the law and Mount Zion represents grace, so Hagar represents the law and Sarah, Abraham's wife, points to the grace of God. Let's read it in Galatians 4, verse 24. Which things are symbolic? For these are the two covenants, okay? One from Mount Sinai, which gives birth to bondage, Lord, which is Hagar. For this Hagar is Mount Sinai in Arabia and corresponds to Jerusalem, which now is uh, and is in bondage with her children. But the Jerusalem above is free, which is the mother of us all. Wow. So you have two types of believer, it seems here. Okay, those who are enslaved and those who are free. You see, Hagar symbolizes Mount Sinai in Arabia, which represents the law, but Sarah uh, symbolizes the heavenly Jerusalem, which represents grace. And the text we read in Hebrews, or we read, says that Zion, Mount Zion, is the heavenly Jerusalem, grace. So, having understood those distinctions, then what does Paul tell us to do in Hebrews 12? and 25. He says we need to hear the heavenly voice, okay, and not to refuse it or to reject it. We need to hear the heavenly voice. We need to listen to what the heavenly voice is saying. That's vital. Some people have the ears, but they don't hear, okay? They're not hearing what the Spirit of God is saying. We need to. Let's have a look at the scripture in Hebrews 12 and 25, see that you do not refuse him who speaks. Wow. So it seems that some people are refusing uh, him who is speaking. So, and what is doing the talking here? Well, scripture explains the scripture, the blood of Jesus. You see, it's the blood of Jesus we read that speaks of better things. Hallelujah. We need to hear what Jesus' blood is saying. And of course, his blood tells us that we are fully forgiven, that our sins have been forgotten. Hallelujah. See, the blood, Christ's blood, proclaims that we are justified by faith, just as if we never sinned. When we need to be careful now uh, not to refuse him who speaks, as some do. They go back to the law and all its rules and commandments rather than to grace, rather than to Zion, to hear that all of our sins and therefore all of our accusation has been removed from us. Hallelujah. So the central point of the new covenant is actually the forgiveness of sins. There are many believers, though, that make the mistake of thinking that this is kind of elementary, that once you've 
Once you've uh, thought about that, you need to go on to greater things. There are other, bigger, deeper things to be considered. Okay, but uh, to the, it's actually to the contrary. It's the forgiveness of sins that allows us to experience all the greater things of God. Okay, so when people do not believe in the forgiveness of sins, then they place themselves on really shaky ground. And so when the storms of life come. They feel insecure. They fear when tribulation comes that uh, they're not sure perhaps that their sins are forgiven and they wonder whether then uh, God's judgment is coming upon them. They wonder whether this is um, a, a way that God's trying to get at them. But please, you need to understand that God is not against you. In fact, his spirit here is here to convict you of your righteousness now. Amen. That you are the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus. So we shouldn't, uh, we shouldn't refuse to listen to the voice that speaks of better things, okay? That's the new covenant. Because if we refuse to hear that voice, then we're gonna be on this shaky ground, okay? We're gonna be unstable in all our ways. Our emotions are gonna be up, going up and down, be difficult to have faith. Without faith, it's impossible to please God. Without faith, you can't access the blessings of heaven. Why? You see, everything's on this basis of being made righteous. The new covenant is all about the forgiveness of sins. You, when you know that there is no more sin between you and God, then you have solid ground on which to base your faith. Your faith becomes unshakable. Hallelujah. Now, remember with me now, the Lord instituted the Lord's Supper, the communion, so that we would remember Him. Okay, We would remember His death. It's a covenant meal. It's the new covenant based upon his blood. You see, under the old covenant, sin was covered, but under the new covenant, sin has been taken away. Hallelujah. Amen. Uh, but what is happening is that people are actually, and when I say people, I mean believers, tend to constantly remember their sins rather than remember the Lord's death. Okay, because of the Lord's death, God doesn't remember your sins and you should stop meditating upon them and remembering them as well. If the devil reminds you of them, you know, cast the devil out. Hallelujah. You need to bring your mind into captivity to the obedience of Christ. And that means to remember Christ's obedience to the point of death in order to remove your sins. So more people remember this, their sin, the more shaken they're going to feel. So many believe that this issue of the forgiveness of sins is just kind of like the doorway to doctrine and having gone through that door, there are, there are deeper or higher things to learn. The problem is there's actually nothing greater than the forgiveness of sins. No matter what level of maturity you reach, you will always need to remember this issue of the forgiveness of sins. Paul says it in Ephesians 1 and 7. He says, in him we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of sins according to the riches of his grace. Hallelujah. You see, it's the understanding of the forgiveness of sins that gives you access to the riches of his grace. Amen. Now, the fourth thought that I have to share with you is that there's an unshakable kingdom to enjoy. Okay. And, and once you're in that kingdom, you should become unshakable as well. And we're going to continue here in Hebrews 12, following the scripture through, whose voice then shook the earth, but now he has promised, saying, yet once more I shake not only the earth, but also the heaven. Now this, yet once more, indicates the removal of those things that are being shaken, 
as of things that are made, that the things which cannot be shaken may remain. Therefore, since we are receiving a kingdom which cannot be shaken, let us have grace by which we may serve God acceptably with reverence and godly fear. Hallelujah. So we're unshakable because of the grace of the Lord, because of the righteousness of Christ that we are. But this scripture is showing us that the Lord allows shaking to come as a way, actually, to perfect us. So our hearts will be tested as well as our works so that only unshakable things remain. Hallelujah. You see, the scripture here shows us that God himself is the one who shakes all things. God not only shakes the earth, but also the heavens. And the heavens mentioned here is not heaven where God is dwelling himself. In fact, scripture talks about three heavens. The first is the blue dome that we see over us. Okay. The second is the heavenly regions where principalities and powers uh, uh, inhabit. The Bible calls them the princes of the power of the air. That's the second heaven. And of course, the third heaven is the actual dwelling place of God. So the heavens to which the text here is referring is the celestial regions where these evil beings, these princes dwell. And this means that the forces of evil will be shaken. Hallelujah. Amen. And I believe that that's exactly what's happening now, that the Lord is shaking these evil spirits out of their strongholds so that his kingdom can come. And here in verse 27, uh, we read this, that once more I will shake. Once more. We see here the purpose of the shaking. Once more indicates the removal. Can you see it here? The removal of those things that are being shaken. Hallelujah. Why? That the being shaken as of things that are made, that the things which cannot be shaken may remain. So God wants to remove these shakable things so that only unshakable things remain. Hallelujah. Now, shakable things are those things that are made by men and the, the, the power, the force of man. When something is made by men, by people in his own strength and his own understanding, it's liable to be shaken. So God's goal is to remove these things from our lives so that everything is based upon the rock of righteousness that is Christ. So our marriages, our financial life, our ministry life is to be established on an unshakable foundation. So many things in life are actually based upon a sense of our own effort and our own merit. God's going to shake all those things so that we come into a place where we simply depend upon him and upon Christ. Self-help will not help. It's high help. It's the work of Christ that and only trusting in that will, will put you on a solid foundation. Uh, so even within the church, there are many sort of man-made things, may, things that are done in man's strength rather than in the strength of the Lord. And this doesn't necessarily mean that they're bad or sinful, okay? But actually that they were just done in the force, in the strength of man. And if they are done in the strength of man, then God doesn't want us to build our lives upon them. They don't glorify Christ. See, God wants us to build on a permanent, fixed foundation that lasts for eternity. Let me give you an example. Okay, for, for marriage, okay, for that to be unshakable, then it needs to be based upon Christ. You can't build a strong marriage on the teachings of human psychology, okay? 
as I said, on, on the teachings of self-help by life coaches. When we do that, ultimately, we become shaky. There are husbands or wives that demand that their spouses make them happy. You know, you might learn that of reading a book or teach, ah, oh, your goal in life is to make your spouse happy. But actually, that's something that only the Lord can do, okay? And we should actually find, seek and find our happiness in the Lord. And when we're filled with the Lord, then we'll be in a position where we can minister to our spouse something that proceeds from the Spirit, not from our flesh. However, when there are couples that are always trying to receive from one another what they can only receive from the Lord Jesus, their marriage will always be on shaky ground. They'll always be condemning, accusing, pointing their fingers, saying, you haven't done this for me, therefore I'm not doing that for you. But when you find actually that the Lord is your satisfaction, you're satisfied in Him, then you don't put that pressure on your, on your spouse. And so, hallelujah, then your relationship becomes stable based on Christ. Amen. In Hebrews 28, we read, Therefore, since we, have, we are receiving a kingdom by, which cannot be shaken, let us have grace by which we may serve God acceptably with reverence and godly fear. Hallelujah. So we are receiving a kingdom, friends, that cannot be shaken. Therefore, we must have grace. It's written here. Let's have grace because only by grace can we serve God in an acceptable way. You see, it's grace that leads us to feel a reverence and a godly fear. Grace teaches us the true fear of God. Not the fear that comes from slavery, but a fear that is birthed through being set free. It sounds like a paradox. Hallelujah. You see, it's a revelation of the God's grace and forgiveness that actually produces true fear inside of us. Reading from Psalm 130, verse 3 and 4. If you, Lord, should mark iniquities, O Lord, who could stand? But there is forgiveness with you that you may be feared. You see, actually true fear, godly fear, the type of reverence that the Lord requires actually comes when people understand his grace, not when they're forced into something. No, they actually fear and reverence the Lord because of his incredible goodness of his incredible wisdom, of his incredible grace. And that overwhelms you. And then you, you reverence him, you fear him, you want to do things his way, not out of submission because of fear of, of threat or punishment, but out of a sense of just gratitude. You so want to walk in his ways. Amen. So to conclude, I just want to share with you a vision of the coming days. Hallelujah. I want you to catch this because really what we've been reading in Hebrews 12 uh, is a quote from Haggai chapter 2, from the prophet Haggai. And I'm going to read a portion of that to you. For thus says the Lord of hosts, once more, it is a little while, I will shake heaven and earth and the sea and dry land, and I will shake all the nations. Wow, you know, you can see that this is happening right now. And they shall come to the desire of all nations. And I will fill this temple with glory, says the Lord of hosts. The silver is mine and the gold is mine, says the Lord of hosts. The glory of this latter temple or house shall be greater than the former, says the Lord of hosts. And in this place, I will give peace, says the Lord of hosts. Hallelujah. So here, 
the prophet Haggai is declaring that the Lord will shake the heavens and the earth, but he adds something, saying that the nations will be shaken so that the precious things of those nations, the gold and the silver, are brought to the house of the Lord, of the Lord to the temple. Okay, And beyond that, the prophet also is prophesying that after the Lord has shaken all things, they will come to the desire of all nations. And I believe that those two things are already happening. You see, before the desire of nations comes, the desire of the nations, and that points to Jesus Christ, he is the desire of all nations, okay? Before that happens, things will be shaken. It's a sign that the Lord is at the door. Also, uh, the precious things of the nations, the gold and the silver that we spoke about here, okay, they will be brought into the house of God. So I'm speaking prophetically to you now. I believe that we're going to have a supply to an extent that we've never experienced before in our lives in order for the kingdom of God to advance. Hallelujah. You see, this supply will come in and then the glory of this latter house is going to be greater than the glory of the former house. The glory of the second temple be greater than the first temple. So you can see supply coming in, but also the anointing, okay, shining out. And this talks about an end time revival that's going to cause uh, the desire of all nations to come. Hallelujah. Now, this prophecy can be interpreted in a number of different ways. In one sense, the second house is greater, the second temple is greater than the first because the temple of Herod, okay, that he built was actually bigger than the original temple of Solomon, okay? But in another sense, the, in the first temple, you had the Shekinah glory of God, okay? But the second temple, Herod's temple, saw the Son of God himself teaching within it. So in that sense, there is a greater you know, a greater glory in the second temple. That's one interpretation. There's a prophetic interpretation as well. Uh, the first house is the temple that represents the law, as I've been teaching. The second house or temple uh, represents the church, okay? And that is the time of grace. So now, because of God's grace, uh, we have become the living stones. We have become a temple in which the Holy Spirit abides. Amen. But I also want to add that God is doing something new among us. And I personally believe that this pandemic and what's happening worldwide is a shaking. Okay. And it's marking the end of the first phase of your ministry, of my ministry. You see, time is changing. A new season is beginning. The end times is being ushered in. This shaking is going to cause the desire of all nations to come. Okay, it's going to cause this shift. People are going to get really focused on building the kingdom of God because they're going to perceive that this era is passing away. Hallelujah. So the promise is that the glory of this new time, uh, the outpouring of the Spirit, the saving of souls, the glorification of God's children, this is going to manifest a much, much greater level now. Hallelujah. We will preach Christ 
his finished work, him crucified. Self-help teachings are going out, okay? The gospel of grace is coming in. We're no longer going to be preaching what you should do. We're going to be preaching about what Christ has done. We're not going to be preaching about how you need to be good. We're going to be preaching about the goodness of God. We're not going to be preaching about a whole list of things that need to be done. We're going to be preaching about what Christ has done and therefore the offer of salvation and redemption to mankind. As we preach that, the desire of the nations uh, will come and we're going to experience extraordinary supply to, uh, to help us get this word to the nations. Hallelujah. You see, Haggai said that everything, these end time prophecies are preceded by a major shaking. I will shake heaven and earth. The world is being shaken, my friend. Each of us is being shaken in some senses and being checked right now by the Lord to see if our lives, our finances, our marriages, our relationships, our ministries are all based upon the solid rock of righteousness in Christ. Amen. We're being shaken to see if we're what mountain we're on. Are we on Sinai still or are we on the unshakable mountain of Zion? Okay, we need to make that shift if necessary. But I want you to know you don't need to fear. Okay, we will always remain unshakable as long as we stay in, in the place of grace. No matter what's happening in the world, okay, don't worry. If you're in the place of grace, then you're under that spout where the glory comes out. You're under the blessing of God, the protection of God, the provision of God. When you abide there, you'll be part of that unshakable kingdom. Amen. Can't be shaken. All right. Absolutely solid. Good God is there. Hallelujah. And so you will experience as well unshakable blessings. You're going to have a life and a ministry that is unstoppable. Amen. Simply because you've become unshakable. Amen. So if you agree with that, I want you to open your mouth right now and say a big amen. And doing that, I leave you with my blessing in Jesus' name. Life and a ministry that is unstoppable. Amen. Simply because you've become unshakable. Amen. So if you agree with that, I want you to open your mouth right now and say a big amen. And doing that, I leave you with my blessing in Jesus' name. If you have never personally accepted Jesus as your Lord and Savior, Pray these words after me. Lord Jesus, I repent of my sins and ask you to wash me clean with your blood. Give me a new heart and a fresh start. Come into my life and be my Lord and Savior. Now that you have prayed that prayer, we believe that you are saved. Get in touch with us at thegreatmission.org to receive your free digital booklet, Welcome to the Family. The ministry of Giles Stevens is maintained by the prayers and financial support of monthly partners. More and more people are looking up rather than around for answers to life and are open to hear the gospel of Jesus Christ. Wherever the ministry is holding campaigns, thousands are responding and seeing real life transformation. Would you consider joining us taking the gospel of Jesus Christ to the nations by a monthly contribution, no matter the amount? Friends, together we can fill God's throne room with people from every tribe, nation and tongue. That's the vision we have for all of our partners, that in the future when we stand before the Lord, we will be able to celebrate together 
when we see people from all nations coming in as a result of your support. So if you'd like to become a partner of the ministry, please visit us at www.thegreatmission.org. Thanks again for tuning in. Remember to subscribe and to share this podcast with a friend so that God's kingdom can keep growing in you and through you. God bless you.